Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my fiance, Carol. How are you doing today, Carol? Hey, what's up? How much? It's been a good week. Here it is. May 30th, 1998. It is that. Carol, you look shocked when I uh, started the show. I did? Yeah, you looked at me like, oh! It's because you were being weird as per usual. Oh, okay. Just my weirdness? What else would it be? Well, maybe I thought you were shocked at the idea of the Spice Girls breaking up. Could yeah, it no, be? no, not really. What will we do? The Spice Girls are sticking to their story that Jerry, Ginger Spice, Holloway, is battling a stomach bug. That's what a spokesman for the band said, too. But the rumor mill cranked up Friday over the Spice Girls' future after Holloway failed to perform with the group on a second straight night in Oslo, Norway. So she takes two nights off and they're acting like she's out of the band. Yeah, they're like, they're breaking up. That's stupid. They're not going to be the Spice Girls anymore. They're going to be the Pice Girls. Stupid. Because I'll lose one. Get it? Uh, uh-huh. A spokes. A spokeswoman said Thursday her absence was caused by a stomach bug. But hours later, a spokesman said he could not comment on a report in the tabloid Sun that the fiery redheaded singer had walked out after a blazing row. Possibly for good. Victoria Posh Spice Adams told the Free Press on Friday, quote, aren't you tired sometimes? We don't stop working and she's just exhausted. She's very tired. That's all it is. Sometimes your body says, I need a rest. We're speaking to her every day. She said, hopefully all the fans will understand. We want what's best for her at the end of the day. We're all friends, not just working colleagues. I, I believe them. And fuck her, Chance. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the rumor mill, Carol. Two days off. I mean, it's the, like way overreacting. I mean, aren't they taking over the world? Spice world? <laughs> right. We didn't watch it. Sorry, everyone. No. Sorry for not covering Spice world. I, I felt like our time could be better utilized on other things. But... You know what about you know what else we could utilize? <laughs> Courtney Love. In trouble again? Seems a fashion show turned into a slug fest for a reporter who deigned to snap the actress slash rocker's picture. Scribbler. I, I love how they, these people these people just love their adjectives. Scribbler Belissa Cohen claims in a Los Angeles lawsuit that Love grabbed her hair. And thrust a knee into her groin. And hit her in the face while going for best two of three falls in this preliminary WrestleMania whatever or something. Cohen is seeking unspecified damages. Love will fight the charges vigorously in court. She said a spokesperson. She said uh, Love said she'll fight these charges as hard as she fought that that bitch reporter. (laughs) Basically, this is another out-of-control paparazzi targeting a celebrity. Okay. I I hate the paparazzi, so... Um, Okay, but they don't need to beat the shit out of the paparazzi. I think they do. Okay. They killed Princess Diana. 
No, the drunk limo driver killed Princess Diana. No, what are you talking about? You're thinking of the Red Wings. You're thinking of Vladimir Konstantinov uh, and uh, uh, Larianov and uh, that's Konstantinov was the one paralyzed, and I think Larianov was in there, and Fatisov maybe too. That limo driver was drunk. Her limo driver wasn't drunk. Her limo driver was run off the road by fucking paparazzi. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. They, that's why she got killed. Well, that's awful. Yeah, agreed. So it's British paparazzi, though. Uh, that, actually, they were in Paris. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, stop the Can't press. let me have anything. <laughs> stop the presses. Tea in a heartthrob, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's re- Jack. Reportedly... Is distancing, distancing never give up, Jack. himself from reports that he will play a serial killer in a film based on breast, Brett Easton Ellis' On breasts? A film based on breasts? Let's talk about that for a minute. Sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. What, 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 what hilarious riff do you have over my brief misspeaking? <laughs> A, a breast novel? A bre- what, what, what are we talking about here? What breast novel? Hmm? No, come on. Let me hear the rest of that joke. That's all I had, <laughs> you meanie. <laughs> no, I, I do it to you all the time. You can do it to me. Um, anyway, he's distancing, distancing himself from reports that he will play a serial killer uh a serial killer in a film based on Brett Easton Ellis's grisly novel, American Psycho. I love that. That's a good novel. I like uh, DiCaprio's Handlers. <laughs> he has Handlers? Apparently. Is he in a zoo? <laughs> Say he has merely expressed interest in the film. So he has interest in playing, uh, I believe the character's name is Patrick Bateman. Uh, so they're going to make a movie. Based on that's interesting. That's going to be an interesting movie to yeah. or a book to make a movie out of. American Psycho is a very good book. I, I actually am a big fan of Brett Easton Ellis. Uh, I've read uh, Less Than Zero uh, and, and a few of his other works. Uh, hmm. Less Than Zero has a connection to to American Psycho because uh, oh man, what's the what? main character's name in Less Than Zero? It's Bateman. It's Patrick Bateman's little brother. Because okay. he, he, at one point, it's, this was written before American Psycho, and at one point he mentions that his brother is a stockbroker in New York, mm. Patrick, and that's the main character of uh, American Psycho. I can't remember the character's first name, though, but Lesson Zero is a very good book. Hmm, maybe uh, I'll check it out. Anyway, he'll have to make one heck of a good act of contrition. Terrence McNally's controversial play, Corpus Christi, will get produced by the Manhattan Theater Club after all. It originally axed the play after getting calls about burning the theater and killing the playwrights. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, Gerald Freeman, dean of the North Carolina School of Arts in Winston-Salem, which did student workshop on the play in December, described the drama about 13 gay men enacting the story of Jesus as a spiritual journey with nothing purient. Finally, Carol, in the rumor mill, Charlie Sheen, the libertine actor, libertine slash actor, has been ordered to wear an electronic monitoring device and stay at drug treatment centers until a July 1st hearing on charges he violated probation by engaging in drugs oh my god 
Like, I don't know. He's a celebrity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are we really that shocked? Well, there's actually there's one more in here, too. Uh, appearing uh, actor Robert Downey Jr., who has kept a low profile after finishing a six-month jail stay Saturday at the MTV Movie Awards as a presenter. So he's going to be a presenter. And see, that's the thing. They can just bounce right back from that shit. Yeah, although matter. although his career has been pretty hurt uh, by it, I would say. He's presenting. Yeah, he's presenting at the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> Good for you, Robert Downey Jr. Certainly you'll have uh, much more big films in the future, I'm sure. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, speaking of big films... We watched a big film, and we didn't watch another big film. And I'm gonna, I'm, although I'm gonna take blame for the film we watched, as you should. But maybe I should take credit for not seeing Almost Heroes. Okay. I think I would have almost rather seen anything because he this. is getting this movie is getting eviscerated. So, as we all know, unfortunately. Uh, Comedy hero that Carol didn't really care for that much. Chris Farley died. And the final film that he made is Almost Heroes. Which uh, stars him and Matthew Perry. Okay. Of Friends fame. Uh, Almost Heroes is the last film completed by the late Chris Farley. But the film's credits do not carry the usual tribute or dedication. This, perhaps, is because all involved understood that even Farley deserved a better send-off than this. Oh, wow. Not that Farley's career in film was memorable, and compared to in, in, in entities like Beverly Hills Ninja, Almost Heroes, a period comedy fashioned after Mel Brooks's movies, such as Blazing Saddles, must have seemed like a step up. But even the talented Christopher Guest, he of This Is Spinal Tap and The Hilarious Waiting for Guffman, is unable to do anything with this tall tale of two mismatched explorers the slovenly illiterate Hunt, Chris Farley, and the vain glory-seeking Edwards, Matthew Perry, who are racing Lewis and Clark to the Pacific. Wow. So that is the, the, the... You know, it's weird, too, because one of the final films that John Candy did, the great John Candy, mm-hmm. was ca- uh, called Wagons East with Richard Lewis, another, you know, like... That same time period, kind of, of American history. Okay. But instead of going west like everyone else, they're like, you know what? The West sucks. I'm Richard Lewis, and I'm a Jewish guy doing my stand-up comedy routine in the middle of this movie. Why don't we go east instead? Maybe they should stop trying to do movies about this time period. Well, comedies, anyway. Uh, It just wasn't funny. No. Scurvy just wasn't funny, everyone. (laughs) Speaking of not funny. Oh, my God. Not that it was necessarily supposed to be funny, although I think it's supposed to be somewhat sardonically funny, but we watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm... Carol, tell us everything that you can think of about this movie. I am just disappointed in Johnny Depp's decision to Johnson do the movie. Depp. Not like... He was a bad actor in the movie. Like mm-hmm. you said, he was fine. I said that off off areas. Yeah, like to you, said, you. Or maybe you just maybe you even said better than fine. 
But it's just such a terrible movie. That was an exact quote for me. You know what? He was better than fun. <laughs> no, he. I think he was really good. I think I think Johnson Depth, which is his full name, is was really good in the movie. But uh, one actor can't carry. Just it's okay. awful. The, the character is awful. The story is awful. Everything about it was awful. I'll bet you there are people that like this movie. I'm I'll bet sure. you even there are people that really fucking love this movie. That think like this movie is going to be a classic. This movie's great because it's one of those movies I think that's highly polarizing. You're either down with what they're doing or you're not down with what they're doing. And here's the thing. This movie is not for me. It's based on a novel by Hunter S. Thompson, a gonzo reporter who would uh, infiltrate. He, he would he would become part of the story. That's what the whole gonzo journalism thing is. He'd go, go cover the Hell's Angels, and he'd become a Hell's Angel. Okay. And ride with them and do crimes with them and shit, do drugs, drink, shoot stuff up, and then write about the experiences. I've never been a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. I know. Come at me, everybody. Late Fee 1994 at AOL.com. I've never been a big fan of his writing. Terry Gilliam, who directed this movie, wrote and direct, wrote the screenplay and directed this movie, based on Hunter S. Thompson work, uh, part of Monty Python. Uh, he wrote and directed Brazil. Uh, he did a couple other movies. He has a very particular off-the-wall kind of style. I don't like Terry Gilliam movies. Hmm. So this movie in dialogue and in in spirit is very much like Hunter S. Thompson. There's a, 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 a voiceover with uh. uh, by Duke from almost the entire film. Um, and it's, Giant Depp does a really good Hunter S. Thompson voice, actually. That's what Hunter S. Thompson sounds like? Because yes. to me, he sounds like somebody from like the 20s. Yeah, and like the Penguin. Like the penguin from the twenties, yeah. So like, it's supposed to be the seventies. So to me, he doesn't sound right. But I guess if that's what he actually sounded like, then that well, he was he was older, I guess, in the seventies. I don't know. Like, uh, so I think he grew up with that whole mid Atlantic accent mm-hmm. type, kind of thing. But yeah, that's what he really sounds like. Uh, and apparently, Johnny Depp spent a lot of time with Hunter S. Thompson hmm. before making this movie, and. Almost all of the wardrobe that he wears in the movie is actually Hunter S. Thompson's clothes. Oh, wow. That's kind of cool. So, I think he gets this right. And I think he does a very good job with it. But like I said, that constant narrating voiceover infuses this movie with a lot of Hunter S. Thompson-like qualities. And like I said, I'm not a big fan of his mm-hmm. writing. His writing is very particular, and you get it in a lot of that dialogue. A lot of that di- the, the narration is lifted directly from the novel. Okay. So you get a lot of that. He has a colorful and somewhat interesting way of explaining things sometimes. So he has his, his advantages as a writer, but just the whole, like, I don't know. I just I can't get into the... Let me, you know, swirl you in a whirlwind of adjectives and, and you know, I'm going to explain the entire 
existence to you in this. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't, I don't, that whole scene, I'm just not into. And the weirdness of Terry Gilliam's films, um, he, there are some, there are some interesting visuals in here. Sure. From time to time, he hits on one that I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. But mostly it's filmed odd just to be filmed odd. Mm-hmm. Even the drug scenes, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I'm sorry. Even the drug scenes? What scenes aren't the drug well, scenes? that's true. I mean, the reason the movie looks like that is because they're high all the time. Yeah. But the, the problem for me is, like, you can't tell what's supposed to be real, if anything. Right. Like, it's just, it's a very disorienting, and it's not, it's not telling a story. I mean, there's a very loose story in there somewhere, but, I mean, it's just so the loose, out there. The loose story is him going to cover a few different things. Right. Like, he goes to, he goes to Las Vegas to cover a, a dune buggy race, which is just filled with dust. It seems ridiculous. Did they actually, they actually do this? Because that's yeah. stupid. That's an absurdity, right? And mm-hmm. that, that could be funny. And part of that, see, the movie started out kind of okay, where I was like, hey, maybe this will be all right. Uh, When he's seeing bats driving down Barstow and driving through Barstow and all that stuff, driving through the desert, it's like, okay, you know, this is kind of wacky. He's like, like, uh, you know, this is bat country, you know, like all that stuff and everything was kind of funny. And when they get to the, the race, that's kind of funny, too, the absurdity of doing all this stuff. But the movie has this glacial, churning <laughs> pace that's just, it just eats everything up. And it's, we're going to Vegas. And it's like, this movie was like on downers. It could have used some uppers. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But I mean, like, I don't know. I guess I just kept waiting for the trip to end and reality to set in, but it never happened. And I think that's a big failing of the movie is there is no, it, there's too much, there's too much drugs. Yeah. There, there is no reality to grab a hold of. If, if there were scenes, even if you could have the whole thing in Vegas, I can, I contrast this to, um, What's the uh, leaving Las Vegas mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage? Mm-hmm. I contrast it with that, right? That movie works amazingly well uh-huh. because the main character is shit-faced the entire movie. That's true. So he's in a completely altered state the entire movie. But we have Elizabeth Shue, who is not. Mm-hmm. She's our tether to reality. So we can have those scenes... The crazy, you know, we're seeing things from his point of view, and he's drunk, and the world's falling apart, and all that stuff. We can have those scenes with him, but it's juxtaposed and grounded by her scenes, which are in reality. And the starkness between the two creates the poignancy of that movie. Yeah, okay. This has no reality. It's two characters who are both high all the time, and everything is crazy. There is no reality to grab onto, 
and it just becomes overwhelming and in the end then meaningless. I have a couple of questions and I don't know if there's an answer to them. Sure. Do you think his friend was really a lawyer? So as far as I can tell, that character is based upon a, a Chicano quote unquote lawyer that he had who was, I think, like an entertainment lawyer, essentially. Um, but yeah, I, I this movie's a Roman A. Clef, or the novel is a Roman A. Clef, so it's fiction, but it's over the facade of real things that really happened. With no reality. Uh-huh. Yeah, like this, <laughs> like this mint race right. really happened. He also covered the DA's thing, the, the cop thing that they were, mm-hmm. that was a real thing, or based on a real thing that he covered at, at some point. The, I believe these were years apart, though. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's based on incidences from his actual life, fictionalized. Um, but yeah, the, I saw that that character was real, but probably not exactly like that character. Okay, but he what we are supposed to believe he was really a lawyer, not just saying he was a lawyer while he was on drugs. I guess so. Yeah, because like I can't imagine any lawyer. Behaving like that right. and maintaining his law degree, yeah, maintaining his his bar, yeah his law license. Yeah, it's amazing he wasn't disbarred after insisting to see Debbie Reynolds. And like the part when he had a knife and all that shit. Oh yeah, like that's I'm, I'm not up. sure how much was real. Were they in danger? Did he really cut him? Like. Was he really, like, in a tub for, like, I want to know, did this shit happen? And that, by the way, that scene with Ellen Barkin, who's wearing a prosthetic butt in that scene, um, there's a lot of cameos for no reason in here. Gary Busey shows up as a a highway patrolman who wants Mm -hmm. a kiss from Hunter (laughs) S. Thompson. Which they didn't even show. No. Um, (laughs) But, like... There's just a bunch of celebrities in here for no reason. I mean, mm-hmm. it's cameos for no reason. She shows up. That's the maybe that's the closest to reality that we get, and that's actually a pretty compelling scene. Uh, mostly because of the work that she's put, the very subtle like fear and like shame and everything that she's putting into that. Christina Ricci. No, no, no. Ellen Barkin. The Who wa- the hell is that? The waitress. That's when he pulls out the knife. That's why she gets scared. The waitress at the towards the end of the movie, they're oh in yes, okay, I'm with you now. And he's asking for the pie and everything. Yeah. That's when he pulls out the knife. The first time, yeah. And she no, if he pulls it out twice, then that's the second time because that's towards the end of the movie. Okay. But anyway, see, um, so that movie's kind of compelling, but that might be the closest we get to an actual reality. Yeah. And it yeah. makes them look like complete assholes, too. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I felt like I could see that that's what it would look like to a regular person mm-hmm. when we were watching them. The movie needed more of that. Yes. The movie needed more of us seeing, oh, these people are are ridiculous and, and a menace to society. What I was talking about, though, is, like, the scene in the hotel mm-hmm. where, like, the the lawyer gets in the tub and he's asking him to throw, 
like the record player in there to kill him or whatever. Oh, yeah, and he yeah, yeah, has yeah. a knife. He comes at him with yeah, the yeah. knife. Yeah. He leaves him there because he's coming at him with a knife. Mm-hmm. And then later in the movie, he wakes up with a Z carved into his forehead. Right, yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, did he really have a Z carved into his forehead? I mean, not in reality, but I mean, reality of the movie. You know, it's just. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Hunter S. Thompson doesn't have a Z carved into his right. forehead in real life. But uh, in the reality of the movie, I think everything that we see is, is we're supposed to take is actually happening. Wow. I think. And the flooding? Well, that and that's the thing too. Is that yeah? Is that real? Did the did the? I I can't imagine in real life a hotel room could flood to where the water is like halfway up the door and nothing happened. Yeah. Where like the ground would cave in because of the weight, or it, it would spill out into the hallway, For sure. or something like that would happen to where it would be noticeable to more people. It would seep through the walls into the adjoining rooms. It, I, I feel like something would happen where they'd notice. I mean, maybe it was a little flooded and then them being high made it seem more, or I don't know. It's just so hard to tell. You're right. There are, there are, there has to be things that aren't exactly as they seem. Um, and and it's hard to know what's what, and I it's hard for me to understand the point. Yeah, I mean, I assume I know the point of the novel. I haven't really read the novel. I've read part of the novel, okay. but like I said, I'm not a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. I'm not a big fan of his writing. I've I've read a lot of his articles, uh, from newspaper clippings and stuff, and I'm not a big fan. But I know that the point of this novel is to kind of depict the end of the counterculture rebellion era. Okay. Which is something to look back now now that we're, you know, it's 1998. We're only a couple of years away from a new millennium. Right. And everything. I assume that it's a time to look back at that. But the counterculture of the mid to late 60s, the fight against Vietnam and the establishment and and all that stuff, how that rose and then kind of crumbled. And and most of the, it was fueled mostly by the sons and daughters of people with a lot of money, you know, (laughs) like rich people or whatever, establishment people. Mm -hmm. And as it crumbled away, they just bought in or, or, sold out or however you want to say it, you know, moved into those positions that their parents had occupied and they became the establishment and the counterculture slowly died out. This takes place in 1971. So this is at the the death knell, the, like the last few years of the counterculture. So it's gasping and dying. Um, that's what the novel's supposed to be about. It's supposed to chronicle how this whole thing just fell apart. Uh, and towards the end of the, the book, he towards the end of the movie, he talks about Dr. Timothy Leary, who was a big leader in that, in that realm uh, okay. and a big advocate of LSD and, you know, use drugs, expand your mind, all that stuff and everything. Um, and he talks a lot about him. He's like, you know, the, the mistake that he made was, you know, everyone was like, Oh, it's the drugs, you know, expand your mind. And, you know, like, fix your problems for a, you know, a $2 hit or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, 
And he was like, that that laziness and that that was the problem. Like, and then everyone just fell into the drugs, and the drugs took over the entire culture, and it wiped out the the actual movements. You know, I I really don't get it. The take drugs and expand your mind, like philosophy, like like with um, Huxley, and yeah. you know he influenced Morrison, and sure. you know it's like I, I've read about them, mm-hmm. and I know that they thought they had these wonderful spiritual you know experiences. Mm-hmm. I've also seen actual people on acid, and they were not profound. <laughs> You know, and like I personally, I've never done a hallucinogen because I'm afraid to, Uh because I feel like the uh, like what he was experiencing (laughs) is awful. Yeah, Yeah. I wouldn't want to go through that. And I'm sure that there are people who enjoy it and have had good times. Yeah, but I don't think it makes you intelligent in any way. No, I, I I personally haven't done all hallucinogens. Um, but, uh, (laughs) I've done a few in, in my time. Mm -hmm. I've done acid before. I've done, uh, mescaline before. I've done psilocybin before. Uh. What's that? Mushrooms. Okay. Um, so I've done some of that stuff. I, I see what people mean when they say expand your mind because it gets like, you think about things in a different way sometimes okay. when you're on a hallucinogen. Um, you know, like, uh, I think, Steve, like, you, you you see music and things and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? You know, and you can be like, oh, you know, what if, you know, music was all around, you know, like, and you can start to have, it, it, it helps the creative process in a way sometimes of moving from thought to thought to thought. But you don't need drugs to do that. Right. And it doesn't give you anything more than what's already there. Like, you can do all this stuff without being on acid. Acid might just, you know, make you forget about all the other mundane parts of the world and focus on those things. But anyone could just do that and focus on those things for like an hour on their their own without seeing colors streaking (laughs) down the wall. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I being someone that's experienced it and everything, I, um, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessary as far as the, the mind expanding stuff. Um, But yeah, this, and if, if this movie's point was, Hey, these two are a representative representatives of the dying counterculture. Then we needed we a hundred percent needed perspective of other people. Those people that they that they interact with, that they talk to. Some of the the um the cops or uh the valets, you mm-hmm. know, you know, like people like that. We needed to see our main characters from their point of view. Yes. Just switch perspectives. Just have a have a handful of scenes, like ten scenes, where there's a, a minute or two where we switch perspectives to somebody else, and we see, oh, 
This fantasy that we've just been watching is really just a sad fucking reality of two losers <laughs> in a beat-down convertible. Right. Like, show that. Because that, then, we can get the idea of, like, this is what they think they are, and this is what the drugs has brought have brought them to, and you could you could compare that to the counterculture, and then and what happened to them, and then it has an impact and a meaning. This movie has no meaning. Yeah, agreed. It was a very long time watching people out of touch with reality and leaving, going why and what for. And that's that's my main problem with it is there's there's too little there there. Yeah. There's not enough there there. And I mean the movie was almost two full hours. It was more than that, I think, wasn't was it? Was it? I think it was like it felt like I think it. it was like two hours and ten minutes or something like that. It was very long for what it was. Yeah, if you're gonna make like a hangout movie like this or something like that, if that's what if that's what the goal of this movie was, it needs to be an hour thirty. Yeah. For sure. I was definitely ready to check out after an hour 30 or an hour 30 minutes, whatever. Right. <laughs> Johnny Depp was excellent in the movie. Sure. He did a great Hunter S. Thompson um, and he he put everything that he could into into the movie. I just it wasn't enough. And yeah, I, I mean, really, there's no more to say about it other than some tweaks and I think you could have had something. Yeah. But since there weren't, don't waste your time. I I wouldn't. But like I said, there are, I'm sure there are fans. I'm sure there are people out there that are huge Hunter S. Thompson fans. I'm sure that there are people out there that are huge Terry Gilliam fans. Mm-hmm. And they'll love this movie. And there are probably people out there screaming at us right now. They're like, what are you talking about? This movie was fucking great. You just don't get it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't get it. And to those of you who loved this movie, I say good for you. And not in any condescending way. I really mean that if you watched this and it gave you pleasure, I am very happy for you. I just can't understand this. And if there's some deeper meeting that we're not getting, late fee, 1994 at AWOL.com. Yep. But uh, other than that, we are done. (laughs) So, yeah, check out our website, www.retrolatefee.com. Mm-hmm. and share the tapes with your friends. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.